Hello and welcome to My Favourite Album, where each week I talk to a different guest about an album they love and how it's influenced and inspired them. My name's Jeremy Dillon. I'm a journalist, photographer, music industry exec and the director of the music documentary Jim Lauderdale, The King of Broken Hearts. My guest today creates beautiful guitar-driven indie rock, wrapping power chords and infectious melodies around tales of romantic frustration that are just as compelling on the Splendor in the Grass main stage as they are blaring out of headphones during a resentful walk in the rain. Her EP, Big Ray University, is one of this year's best music things and is out right now. Slahi, welcome to my favourite album. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So, Alex, what is your favourite album? Well, one of my favourite albums is uh, Hot Fuss by The Killers. Well, somebody told me you had a boyfriend who looked like a girlfriend that I had in February of last year. It's not confidential. I've got potential. Uh, yeah, I say one of because it's it's impossible to choose just one favorite like of all time. Well, for me anyway. But Hot Fast by the Killers is is up there for sure. So this album came out in two thousand and four. Yep. I'm guessing you would have been what mid teens, early teens. I was twelve in two thousand four. Eleven turning twelve. So yeah, pretty pivotal pivotal point in a young person's life. I guess I think a lot of things start making sense, and I think when you're that age, like you start to discover what qualities maybe i think that's actually an interesting point i think that is the age i mean it was certainly true for me and i think for a lot of people it's the time when music stops just becoming the thing that you like because you can bang or bang your hand along to it or something and you actually start thinking wait is this good do i like this yeah it's yeah it's it's i think it's a time where you can distinguish between liking someone or liking something or someone but liking something and knowing whether or not it's actually good quality. And then further along into that, you become more mature to know that, hey, actually, I, I don't really like this, but I know it's really good. Yeah, that's an important yeah. thing. Actually, some people never get to that. Yeah, exactly. I reckon I got there like when I was 19, 18 or 19. I reckon that's when I got there. So, yeah. I think that's probably true for a lot of yeah. people go through the teenagers years and the divide is either if I like it, it's good. Yeah. If I hate it, it's shit. Yep. There's no other possibility. Man, got to embrace the grey. Got to love the grey. Yeah. <laughs> love the grey. That's the, that would be a good album title. Love the grey. Yeah, yeah. For my um. Yeah. When I'm like in my fifties, releasing my like <laughs> my my country bluegrass album. Yeah. Love yeah. the grey. <laughs> you're you're a Daniel Lamoir produced Americana project. Yeah. Yeah. Fresh out, fresh out of Nashville. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> so how did the killers? into your life like when did this record first get to you what was your first reaction to it 
Well, funnily enough, actually, this kind of goes back to what we were saying before about identifying quality over like your taste. I reckon I heard somebody told me on video hits and everyone really liked it. And I think because of that, I decided not to like it. It's popular, therefore it sucks. Yeah, exactly. And like, I think when I was 12, like that was when I sort of like started finding music for myself. And like a big part of that for a lot of kids or a lot of people my age at that time was LimeWire, which I shouldn't condone. But the big thing about LimeWire is that like, there was certain cred associated with like going into the depths of the internet and finding these like obscure, like, you know, indie bands that like no one's heard of. And like, you know, that's like, or like any sort of band and you know, like that's like cool. Right. Yeah. I'm using finger quotes listeners, but like, you know, that's cool. And, um, yeah. So when I heard this song, which like was like had all the sensibilities in music that I really liked and everyone was liking it. I was like, I just rejected it. It wasn't until I went and bought the album, with like a sanity gift card or something like that. And I just sort of decided. There's a phrase you don't hear that often. Oh man. Yeah. There's my other album. Yeah. <laughs> sanity gift card. <laughs> and um, yeah, I bought, and I don't know what possessed me to buy it. I don't know why I decided to buy it after I decided not to like it. Maybe to prove to myself that I actually didn't like it. Anyway, big mistake because I fucking loved it. And yeah, like it was the first time I listened to a record from start to finish and, and thought, wow, this is a really great album. This is a great album. The flow is excellent. The songs are great. Um, it's so cohesive. And I just love listening to it from start to finish every time. Like, I, you know, it's not like you go back to track four or whatever and, like, you know, pound that. Yeah, you listen to it from start to finish and it's just a, a really, really great record that is so of its time. And I think it's a real, like, touchstone of, you know, that early 2000s, the OC season one, you know, indie rock that, in my opinion, changed pop, pop music. And we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for those, that era. Yeah. Well, I think Sanity Gift Card will be the name of your early 2000s alternative rock cover. Yeah, baby. Record. That's it. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Like John Lennon's rock and roll album. That'll be your version of that. Yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah. Done. All right. Cool. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting like to hear you talk about it in that way, loving it as a complete album and not skipping any track because it's an album with a couple of like massive singles on it. Yeah. Well, I was actually talking to a friend the other day who reckons maybe she read it somewhere or I don't know if she thought of it on her own accord, but um, Mr. Brightside is like the anthem of our generation, which I thought was, I mean, it's a big call to say that about any song, but I thought it was an interesting one. It's definitely an anthem. That's true. I mean, I know people of that sort of era, mm. if that if qualifies as an era. What generation are we? I don't know. Are I don't we know. There, are we I think we're Z? Gen Y. y? I'm, I'm 23 and I'm Gen Y. So, okay. yeah. I wonder what the bracket is because yeah. you're 23, I'm 26. And we're, no, we're definitely both Gen Y. Okay. Yeah. And my, 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 yeah. My ex was older than you and I used to make fun of them and be like, Oh, you know, this is like my generation. They're like, no, like, I swear, we're both Gen Y. We're both Gen Y. How, how much older? <laughs> Seven years. So how old would they be now? Like 30, 30, I guess. 30, 31. So yeah, you sweet. Okay. Welcome to the bracket. Yeah, <laughs> this is it. Because <laughs> my friend uh, Montaigne, who is 21, I think. Yeah. That's embarrassing if she hears this, that I can't remember her age. Um, hey, Montaigne, yeah. love your work. 
she had to cover this. Well, she chose to cover this. She had to do a, an acoustic cover of a song the other day, and she chose Mr. Brightside. Ah. So that was a, a massive song for her as well. So yeah, I think it's yeah a big song for yeah yeah people our age. It's a ripper song. I mean, I find it interesting like when I when you told me this was the record that you wanted to mm. do. I thought it was interesting because there are some ways where I went, oh yeah, I can hear that. But then there are other ways which are less about the sound of the record and more about kind of the the personality or the type of sort of like rock star arrogance that the the Killers or Brandon Flowers presents himself yeah. with that really isn't a part of what you do? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't follow the Killers at all. Yeah, I think I've got the, the album after that and maybe the one after that. But, like, I've never seen them live, which is really interesting. I've, yeah. I've never seen them live. I would like to, but I just, I've just never gotten around to it. Yeah, like, it's it's very much the record that I love, not necessarily the band. Yeah, which is interesting that you bring that up. Yeah, I was thinking about, like, a few other things, like, influent- like albums that, like, influenced me, like, as a writer or as an artist. And I just decided to go with the record that I really love and, like, it means something to me as the person that I wake up as in the morning, like, not as Alex Leahy, like, on, st- on stage, whoever that is. Like, yeah, it's just, like, it- I-, I went for the more personal kind of, like, reasons rather than, like, work reasons, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how much of the music that you love and that you you listen to often or like really intently or that is like something that you'll put on if you just want to listen to something that you have a real attachment to wouldn't form a part of the stuff that you do? Like how much stuff, how much music that you love is there where you go like, well, I love that, but I wouldn't try and do that? Probably the majority, to be honest. Like at the moment, for example, like I'm really, really into Shura's album that she just released last week. It's awesome. Like, the songs are brilliant. The, like, I feel like there's a real concept behind it. But musically, it's like, and sonically, it's, it's and, and the way that she sings and all this sort of stuff, like, is not aligned at all with how I go about my music and what I create. But then again, like, there are certain things that I take out of that, like, you know, really drawing a concept out and, and writing to that and creating a record around that. That's something I would love to do. Furthermore, like, the songs themselves are great. Lyrically, like maybe there's sort of things that I can pull out from there, but yeah, from a like, but the reasons why I listen to the album is because of that. Is because it sounds cool and like, and I dig it, and it makes me want to dance. And you know, when I walk home from you know work or the studio or whatever, like it you know puts a spring in my step, and that's why I listen to it. Sometimes, and I feel like I've had this conversation this conversation with other musicians before. Sometimes you can't help but think. What if I just didn't know how to play music and I could just accept the magic? I try to just get lost in the magic of music every now and then with those sort of albums and not think about how I can change what I do to reflect that. And so I think the majority of the time, yeah, I'm just listening for pleasure. I mean, I'm sure there's people who have that relationship with your music, people who, because a lot of people I've found don't listen that closely to lyrics and songs. Yeah, right. So there's probably people who like your stuff, but it's just like they like walk like walk along and it's like yeah. I know what the lyrics out of this song. Yeah, no, it's, that's an interesting way to think about it because I'm so like when I make my records, I'm like, you need to be able to hear every single word and if we can't hear every single word then we haven't achieved what we're here to do. So like it's interesting to think that like even though I'm so, you know, staunch on that that you know the 
your average listener or whoever that actually likes my music doesn't really pay attention to the lyrics at all. Well, I mean, I'm sure it works. I think the best music works in both ways. Yeah, I would agree with you. Yeah. yeah. Like when I play, you know, like a Tame Impala song in a DJ set, the mm. people there aren't like listening to the emotional content of yeah. the less I know the better. They're just dancing. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that that's not a really important part of the song that a lot of people listen to it. Yeah. With. And even like with hot coming back to hot fast, like the lyrics aren't like, they don't blow my mind, but I just love the music and I love the record. And I, and you know, I can sort of like get enough of, an idea of what the the song's about from the lyric and it's cohesive with the music. It's it's focused. Like it's a really focused record in, in terms of its production. It's yeah, it's good production, basically. Mm. Mm. Do you feel like you get a sense of Brandon Flowers or the band's point of view and what they're like what they're trying to say, who they are from listening to these songs? Um yeah. I think the I think the whole record is kind of about the underdog. And yeah, so you get, you get a vibe for that. And probably at the time, maybe they were the underdog. I mean, they were sort of, there were a lot of other people doing a similar thing at that time to them. To the point where I was with my brother just before I came here. And he said that when Brandon Flowers demoed the album, I don't know how true this is, but like, because my brother's probably not true at all, but um, <laughs> he, like, he demoed, um, he demoed the album and then is this it came out like the strokes, the strokes, the strokes yeah. record and Brandon flowers is like, I got to rewrite it. Interesting. So, um, yeah, maybe it isn't like a hundred percent exactly what the, the, you know, a hundred percent genuine reflection on who Brandon flowers or the killers are, but maybe it's, um, like it's sort of been whittled away or like, you know, smoothed out to fit the market to a degree, maybe conspiracies, indie conspiracies. Yeah. Yeah. Brandon Flowers, Fake the Moon Landing. Yeah, exactly. This is it. Where's the shadow? Yeah. (laughs) We're at the point now, maybe I think just far enough away from that period in rock and roll, like 10 to 15 years Mm. now, away from all those kind of records to kind of look at it, look back on it now and maybe see that as a movement. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you're talking about Mr. Brightside, like that has a huge element of nostalgia now for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it was a movement. One of my biggest musical influences is, or influencers, is this woman, her name is Alexandra Patsavis and she is a music supervisor and she's done a bunch of, a bunch of cool shit, um, heaps of movies, uh, and she is probably best known for her work on The O.C. And The O.C. was a huge huge turning point for the way that young people in this is my opinion the way that young people engage with music and and what they look for in music in turn how they like were engaging with the show and I reckon it's probably one of the reasons for its popularity but basically like she wasn't looking for hits when she was you know syncing the music to that show she was looking for like the most appropriate music and yeah and and that was like a real turning point I think for a lot of people getting those like OCCDs and there were being all these like unknown bands on it. And that sound has really transpired all the way through to today, I reckon. I think it I think it was a huge influencer on yeah, popular music and yeah, what people want to listen to because I was just exposed to it. You know, I've never actually heard anyone ex- say that in so many words before, but I think you're completely right because the amount of singer-songwriters I know, probably more predominantly like female singer-songwriters I know, 
who a lot of the music that they love came to them through that show, through the yeah, OC. Yeah, huge. Yeah. Is, it's quite a significant amount. Yep. And it's I, super yeah. influential. I don't think it's ever have, I don't think it's ever been given enough credit. The cultural uh, fallout from that show was massive and it's still around. And I forgot what food tastes like, the way it tastes right, the taste but tastes right. Kind of like the way the Blues Brothers reintroduced a whole generation of people yeah, to like yeah. R&B music. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, it's it's an interesting one. Yeah, and, and yeah. the stuff on, I mean, like, obviously, like, Phantom Planet, yeah. California, I mean, that, it's sort of, it's not, doesn't sound that much like um, The Killers, but now, retrospectively looking back, it sort of feels mm. like it exists in the, the same world. Yeah, and a lot of other bands that she introduced on that show, like Rooney... Like that, that first album of theirs was unbelievable. That was a real game changer for me personally. Also, like Modest Mouse, Image and Heap as well. Like, mm. there's no way that she would have been. Like, there's no way. You can quote me on this. Well, it's recorded. <laughs> there's no way <laughs> that um, that she would she would be have production credits on the Taylor Swift album if it wasn't for that song getting put on that moment in the show. Like, there is just no way. Yeah, good point, because she's exactly the right age to have grown up with the with the OC too. Yeah, well, because, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. And Taylor Swift, I'm sure, watched the OC. Um, I mean, Taylor, please confirm. But, like... Yeah, I'm Taylor, sure, tweet yeah, me. Just, yeah. I know you listen to this show. Yeah, hey, Tay. Yeah, like, there's no way yeah. that Imogen Heap would have got gotten that gig if it wasn't through her breaking out through that show... And she's, you know, one of the most influential minds in in music and music technology, like, in the world. So it's, um, yeah, I, I can't stress enough how important Alexandra Patsavis is, and she has changed all of our lives, even if you don't know her. So thanks, Alex. Wow, I've got to get her on the podcast. Man, I've... For, yeah, invite me down. I'll, I'll, fly, to, I'll fly up. <laughs> I'll fly up and hang. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll keep you posted. Thanks, man. <laughs> So when you fell in love with this record, did you think you were going to fall in love with the band in a more serious way? Did you think like, oh, this is amazing. Every new record they put out is going to be as good as this or I'm going to like it as much as this and this is going to be one of my new favourite bands? Or did you have a sense that it was just the record more than the band itself? I think it was the record. You know, going back to what we were talking about before about quality, like that quality thing. You know, I've got friends who will like, unconditionally love bands, even if, like, start releasing shit. You know what I mean? Like, it's, like, on principle, like, they will, like, support them and love them. And that's beautiful because that's the relationship that they have with, the, you know, these artists. And, you know, that's great. Whatever. Yes. However... No, no, really. No. The new U2 record is as good yeah, as Acton yeah, yeah. Baby. Yeah, exactly. It's, like, yeah. Um, yeah, we, we won't name names. But, like, yeah, yeah. There's, like, certain artists out there who kind of, you know, they have slumps and people choose to ignore it. Anyway. And that's fine because that's all part of like, you know, your creative life. Like sometimes you just, you know, anyway, let's not get into that. But um, yeah, like, so got the first record, loved it. Got the second record, which is Samstown, and I also really liked it. And there was a bit more of a dark boldness to that record that I 
as compared to hot fast. But I've sort of really embraced that as well. Yeah, it was never like a fan of the kill. You know, like I like just really liked their music, but was never really into the band and never really, you know, researched them or anything like that. And then they released their third record, Day and Age, which I thought was a clanger. And just kind of... Clanging on a banger. Yeah, no, it was a bit of a squinker. And like, yeah, just like kind of, um, yeah, didn't pursue it kind of didn't really pursue them after that, but we'll always come back to Hot Fuss. And, yeah, and I was listening, I've been listening to Sandstown lately, actually, funnily enough. But, yeah, so I'm definitely a fan of the record, not necessarily a fan of the band. Did you listen to the Brandon Flowers solo record? No, I've never listened to it. I was thinking that when I sat down. I've never actually listened to it, but apparently it's not too bad. No, it's pretty... Uh, I mean, I have to admit, I'm not much of a fan of The Killers. Yeah, right. And actually, Mr. Brightside is not an important song for me, even though mm. I'm, I'm of the correct age, because this was the period during which I didn't listen to anything recorded after 1978. Yeah, right. But I listened to the... I, well, I listened to the Brand of Flowers solo record because like a friend of Flamingo, mine... Hotel Flamingo or something like that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because a friend of mine... Well, she wasn't a friend of mine at the time, but mm. someone I was... I, I, his music I liked mm. sang harmonies on some tracks. Yeah. And I like, I think I like that more than the, yeah, right. uh, the killer stuff, actually. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. Maybe I'll um, I can do that on the plane. Yeah, I'll listen to it on the plane. It's my homework. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you didn't have a deep relationship with the band. You loved the record. Who were you listening to at the time where it was as much about having a relationship with the artist as it was just having a relationship with the music? At that time. Yeah. Uh, Missy Higgins was a huge deal at that time. And I think for a lot of fellow white female Australian aspiring songwriters at the time, Sound of White was an extremely significant record for a lot of people. I was having this conversation with a couple of friends, one of whom, Eilish Gillingen, is one of the best undiscovered songwriters in Melbourne. And we were just talking about how significant that, that, that album was and how uncompromising it is and was still able to be so popular. And that's a credit to the fact that the songs and the lyrics are, like, prodigal. Like, the fact that um, Missy Higgins wrote Awful Believing when she was 16 or whatever, that is, like, freak child prodigy shit same with taylor swift like you know she was a child prodigy and yeah people seem to ignore that like when it comes to songwriting but tell you what songwriting is fucking hard and <laughs> and sometimes there are just some freaks out there who can get it right when they're babies <laughs> yeah when did you start writing songs i started writing songs when i was like 13 13 14 okay they weren't like all for believing or or teardrops on my guitar though how old were you when you wrote the first song that you would still happily stand by today as a song you think is quality uh, 20. Okay. Yeah, I reckon. Yeah, I reckon 20. Okay. Yeah. So you started writing a year or two after getting into this Killers record, after getting into Hot Fast. Yeah. Did it have any influence on the kind of stuff you were writing? Uh, no. No, it didn't. I started, I started teaching myself guitar when I was, um like at the end of year seven. So I would have been like just turned 13. Like, you know how we're talking about the magic of, you know, just allowing music to seem like magic. Yeah. Because I was so crap at guitar. Like 
that seems like magic <laughs> like you know that sort of like rock being in a, the idea of being in a rock band or like playing that kind of music with you know like in, like a production seemed like magic to me and it and seemed somewhat unattainable so why even bother trying to sound like that okay yeah so it seemed like it like it was a different thing to what you were trying to do like you you were gonna you were gonna head in this direction like maybe Missy Higgins was the wasn't an exemplar of the kind of thing that you were headed towards not necessarily you wanted to sound like that but like I could see myself doing a version of what she does but you looked at the killers and went I'm never going to do that let's just put this in a different box well a big also a big part of it was um I, I taught myself how to play guitar by playing Missy Higgins songs okay so and a big part of and a big reason for that is because they're easy to play and like and there's a lot of open chord voicings like I my like from a physiological perspective like my hands aren't actually strong enough to do like bar chords and that sort of thing so I actually couldn't play the killer songs whereas like stuff like Missy Higgins and um I don't know like Michelle Branch or whoever was like around at the time like really easy open chord songs like the Beatles like classic my first guitar sort of songs because they're just easy which to play which Beatles songs were you learning? Uh, like yesterday, it's the easy one. Yeah. Yeah. In F. Hey Jude, it's very easy. Yeah. yeah. I think that's an A, maybe. What? Uh, oh, maybe not. I maybe it's C. C or A for C. Anyway, I don't remember. Yeah, told you I wasn't very good at guitar. <laughs> but um. Well, I would hope that you haven't played Hey Jude in concert for a, a while. If you did ever at all. No, I never did. I never did. But yeah, um. Because people should not cover that song. No, or any Beatles song for that matter, really. But um, yeah, no. So that's kind of how I. So learnt how to play, which which maybe is why Hot Fuss was still like I put it on a pedestal, so to speak, because it seemed impossible. Like how could I ever do something like that? So I'm just gonna listen to it over and over and over again. Whereas um, like Missy Higgins was probably more influential towards my playing because I was playing her songs as a means of learning how to play. Yeah. So these days, do you still listen to Hot Fuss? Yeah, yeah. I was listening to it the other day. It's great. Start to finish, baby. Start to finish. So has or how has the experience of listening to that record changed over the intervening 12 years since you originally discovered it and and got into it? Oh, massively. I actually understand what's going on in the record. I understand the parts. I can hear what's programmed, what's not programmed. I can, like, from my experiences of just being in the studio, like, I can understand how the record works. Also, from a songwriting perspective, I you know, can I can take different things out of it now. Um, I think Smile Like You Mean It has some of the best, like, lyrics going around. And just the way, like, the imagery, like, Branded Flowers is really, really good with imagery. And especially, like, when it comes to things like he can create a setting and set, and set the scene. He's really, really good at that. And that's also really well reflected in their um, their film clips as well. Like, the Mr. Bright, to go back to Mr. Brightside, like, the Mr. Brightside film clip, the, it's it's pretty much just playing out exactly what happens in the song, and that's really cool. Um, so yeah, you can you can really sort of feel the. I think there was a, quite a clear vision for the record, and they figured it out and they nailed it, and that's why it's so good. Yeah. Well, Alex, thanks for talking to me today about your favorite album. Oh man, thanks for having me. I just got to nerd out for like twenty minutes or whatever. That's what this show is for. This is the best. All right. I'll, I'll use that quote. This is the best. This is the best. Alex Leahy. Ah. B Grade University is out now, so go and get it on iTunes or 
any good or evil music retailers that you frequent. Yeah, with your sanity gift card. Exactly. Hey. Well, that's it for another episode of My Favourite Album. Thanks for listening. I've been Jeremy Dillon. You can follow me at Mr. Jeremy Dillon. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash myfavouritealbum. Subscribe on iTunes. And if you dig the show, please leave a review. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.